Good morning. All right, as we get started, <clears throat> let's pray real quick. Thank you, Father, for today again. Lord, I just want to pray that you sanctify us in your truth and in your word and what it means for us as we continue this, this journey around spiritual warfare, Lord, that we would continue to find Find peace in your truth, that we would know what that is and we would continue to walk in it, that we would continue to understand it, and that we would take captive our own thoughts as we always focus on your truth and the truth of who you are in your word, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so this morning we're going to talk about truth. Pilate when he was talking to Jesus, asked, what is truth? So Jesus was about to be crucified. He said in John, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? A great question. And that's what we're going to unpack today. So we're going to focus on the belt of truth in our journey on spiritual warfare. So if you recall, for a quick review, Jeff had talked about a couple things in Ephesians. And Ephesians was written by Paul uh, to the church uh, in Ephesus to understand who Christ is as the head of church, what the truth about who Christ is, and then also how to walk in that truth. So chapters 1 through 3 is the truth of who Jesus was, and chapters 4 through 6 is how to walk in that as a Christian. Jeff did a great job talking about not only the enemy, the devil, but our enemies, the flesh, the world, and the devil, those three items. Saying that the devil was nothing more than a dog and a leash, which I thought was a really good analogy. Um, I think we just have to be careful we don't get too close to the dog sometimes. And that's why we have to know the truth. He talked about how the devil uses temptation and accusation to work in concert with the flesh, the world, and the devil. Right? So all of those three work together. He said that we probably can do enough of ourselves in our sin to cause enough challenges in the world, and the devil probably doesn't have to do anything. We walk in our sin. It can be very difficult to deal with. So there's just a couple of key things that Jeff reviewed. Let's talk about, let's look at Ephesians 6 again. I'm going to start with 10, and I'm going to land on 14, which is our, our focus today. So he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So that word, finally, again, remember that this chapter 6, verse 10 through the end, is a summary of the entire book of Ephesians. Okay, you have to remember that. So he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you're able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And we talked about how the devil works and how the devil works in concert with the world and the flesh to do that. And he says, our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. It's not against another human being, but it's against spiritual forces. And then he says again, therefore, after I've reminded you of this, take up the full armor of God again to resist everything in the day. And then in verse 14, stand firm, therefore. So he keeps 
repeating himself to say, go back and look what I've talked about. Remember the truths of Christ. Remember how to walk in it. Remember to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor. Again, go back, put on the full armor, stand and resist, stand firm. So he's repeating it over and over and over again. So we understand these truths to take up the full armor of God. So then verse 14, which is what we're going to focus on today. Stand firm, therefore, and I'm going to use the NASB for this one for a purpose, uh, that version, New American Standard Bible. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. And that's what we're focusing on today is if you read the ESV, it says fasten your, the belt of truth. Or NIV, maybe put on the belt of truth. So we're talking about the truth today. Because if you can't understand what the truth is, then you can't walk victorious in the flesh. You can't take captive what's going on in the world and what the world is scheming about. And you can't be aware of what the devil is doing. So gird up your loins. The reason I like that one is because most, we don't use it today, but the idea of gird up your loins is get ready. Put your belt on. Fasten it up. A little bit of like pull up your pants and let's go. So the whole idea with the belt of truth, remember it's a whole thing as a metaphor. And the belt of truth is only one piece of the full armor that you have to put on. Right, so this is one piece. Now, some would argue that the analogy of the belt of truth is nice because it's the first piece you put on. It's the fundamental piece that you put on. That is a nice analogy, and it may be true, but the idea is we need to focus on what the truth is, and that's what we're going to unpack today. So when the um, soldier, the Roman soldier, put on the belt, they took their tunic, and they lifted their tunic up, and they tucked it in their belt. Why? So they could move. So they're prepared to go to battle. Then they put their sword on it. They probably attached their chain mail to it and potentially their other armor. It was a fundamental piece where everything else is fastened. All right? So it's a little bit of an analogy that you'll see with this metaphor. But I like that phrase, gird up your loins, because it talks about you better be prepared to go in the battle. And if you want to be prepared to go in the battle, you have to know what truth is. So the Greek word for truth that's used here and over and over and over again in all of these passages that I'm going to talk about is aletheia. It means that which describes the actual state of what is. Actuality. It corresponds to reality. If you're in construction, maybe it's the plumb line that is true straight down. Never goes, si never goes sideways. It's true. It's sincere. If you're in metalworking, it's the purity of the metal that has no impurities in it. It's the genuine, real deal. And when you look at the Old Testament Hebrew, it corresponds to God's trustworthiness over time. That is the meaning of truth. So what's also true about truth? This is something that the world really does not like. Truth is true at all times, in all places, for all people. That is truth. It is true at all times, all places, for all people. Also, I'm in HR, if you don't know. I'm a human resources person. So this one is contrary to what I learned in HR. All truth claims are absolute, narrow, and exclusive. They are mutually exclusive. 
truth stands on its own. You can't, it is not self-defeating. It excludes the opposite. It is, can't have a contradiction. What do I mean? You can't be a theist and believe in pantheism. You can't believe in a single God and believe that God is in all. You cannot believe in a single God and believe that there is no God. They're, they contradict each other. Does everybody understand that? Right? It also can't be self-defeating. Let me give you an example. All truth is relative. Is that a relative truth? All, troops are, all truths are absolute. Or there, I'm sorry, there are no absolute truths. Is that an absolute truth? So truth can't be self-defeating. And there's always an opposite, right? So it, it, can't contradict, it can't have contradictory claims. It must be true, right? So you can have contradictory beliefs, okay? But you can't have contradictory truth. So we can argue about our beliefs about a truth, but truth cannot contradict itself. That is important because when we talk about the historicity of who Jesus is and his word, uh, you have to understand this. Because as we go to battle, if the devil is saying you are nothing and Jesus says you are something, they are mutually exclusive. Which one do you believe? If you say, I just have to keep lying, and Jesus says, no, you are dead to lying, which one do you believe? They are mutually exclusive. What you act on is what you believe. That's the important thing of truth. If you know the truth, it will set you free, and you will act, and you will walk in the truth that you believe. So the last thing I'm going to ask you, the number one application, I'm going to give it to you right in the beginning, is to start taking every thought captive for the obedience for Christ. That is the one thing I could stop right now, and that's what I want you to do. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and I'm going to come back to that. So let's look at a little bit of history. One about who Jesus is and what he did. So I'm going to go into Corinthians, and Paul says this is actually one of the oldest creeds of the church. In 1 Corinthians, verse 15, where Paul is talking about the resurrection of Christ. Now I want you to pay attention to some of the similar words that you hear when he talks about us being in spiritual warfare. Things like standing firm. He says, Now I make known to you, brother, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which you also stand. Also which you are saved if you hold fast. The word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as first importance, What I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than five hundred at one time, most of whom still remain. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. And then he goes on to say, if Christ has not been raised, our faith is worthless, and we are still in our sins. Why do I tell you that? Because of the historicity of what Jesus did on the cross is true. There is no man in the grave. There are multiple witnesses to what happened. You cannot believe that Jesus is alive 
and have the Christ and at the same time or consider the fact that maybe it's true that um, another prophet who is dead could be God, right, in another religion. They're contradictory. To, they contradict each other. So that's the point I'm trying to point out there. So that's the history of what Jesus did. Paul says in Ephesians, the message of truth is the gospel of salvation. So let's talk about the history of the word, the word of God. A lot of people don't think about this. How many of you believe that Julius Caesar was actually a Roman emperor? Nobody? Wow, no show of hands. Okay. All right. So good. I'm glad you do. Because the Word of God has more manuscripts, more witnesses. It's closer to the time it was written, has earlier testimony, better authentic testimony, and people were not deceived. In fact, they died for what the Scripture said that Jesus did for them. But yet, people don't believe in the word of what happened, but we believe that Julius Caesar was a Roman emperor. We have more knowledge authenticity, eyewitnesses, and manuscripts that would suggest that Jesus is who he is and did what he did. All right? So that's the reasonable side of things, the intellectual side of things. Now let's talk about who Jesus is. I think most of you probably know this. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the word. We also know the Bible tells us that Jesus is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if Jesus is the word and Jesus is the truth, then the word is truth. It's just a logical argument. Psalm 119, 160 says, your words are true. John 17, 17 from Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your, thy words are true. So I'm spending all the time to unpack a little bit of the historicity of who Jesus is and the fact that the Bible and Jesus authenticate themselves as true because we have to have a good sense of this truth as we go into battle. So if we know that Jesus is the word and Jesus is truth and the word is truth, let's take a minute to talk through the supremacy of Christ and the blessings of Christ. Because as we go to battle, you fundamentally have to know the truth. So I'm going to use a sister, uh, a sister letter, Colossians, for this, this example of the supremacy of Christ. Actually, Tim read some of it this morning. I thought that was an interesting uh, I don't want to say coincidence, because I don't think it's a coincidence, but I think it's interesting that he, he, he wrote that this morning, and we did not talk. Um, so <clears throat> we know the truth. The truth is Jesus. Jesus is the word. The word is truth. So let's talk about the supremacy of Christ, because I want you to listen to this, because I think as we go to war and we have spiritual warfare, uh, we, and I've, I'm going to say this several times, we lose sight of what we're thinking, and we lose sight of what the truth says, and we can be taken captive by wrong philosophies and wrong thinking. So let's look at the supremacy of Christ first. And this is Colossians 1:13. I'm going to actually go through verse 23 here. So I just want you to listen 
And in light of our topic of spiritual warfare, just let it sink in for a minute about what Jesus does and his power and his supremacy. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We're talking about the domain of darkness in spiritual warfare. In him whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, I want you to listen to the word all. I've used this before in several of my conversations, but I think we, we lose the sight of the fact of what this is. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. The same phrase, rulers and authorities and dominions and powers, is the same one used in Paul in Ephesians. So Colossians and Ephesians go side by side, one, because they're written at the same time, and two, because one is showing the supremacy of Christ, Colossians, the other one is showing the blessings we have in Christ. So I'm going to use them side by side because that's the truth we need to sit in. Over 78 of the passages over relate to each other. They're almost identical in those passages. So it's important. It's a great study to go through both of these together. All things were created. All things have been created by him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. He's the head of the body of the church, the beginning, the firstborn. <clears throat> for it is, was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, through him, he reconciled all things to himself. <clears throat> Having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say whether things in heaven or things in earth. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile, engaged in evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope, which is the gospel. So I just talked to you about the gospel and the importance that Paul says, hey, the truth, the message of truth is the gospel of salvation, so don't move away from that. This peace, this power talks about him having power over all things. Why do I bring that up? Because first and foremost, he, Paul warns us that we are not to be tossed by every wind of doctrine and tr trickery. He says in the beginning of the passage that I read you, be careful of the deceitful schemes of the devil. He also says in Ephesians, don't, let, don't be deceived by empty, word, empty words. He goes later on in the Colossians to say, don't be captive by philosophy and empty deceptions and elementary principles of this world. That is why you have to know the supremacy of Christ. Do you want to know some of the empty philosophies and elementary principles of this world? Can you name some of them? Man is inherently good. There are no absolute truths. There's multiple ways to heaven. You need to do more. There's no God we've involved. You deserve what's in your heart. The physical doesn't matter, everything's spiritual. We are all one, nature is all. The Old Testament is not relevant today. God wants you healthy and wealthy. These are all philosophies, man-made philosophies that we get day in, day out. They get what? They get sprinkled in 
through, the, through our days. And actually, they get sprinkled in through the church. You don't believe me? Here's a couple more. If you name it, you can claim it. I don't know how you want to defeat the devil, but if you declare it, if you rebuke him, if you renounce him, if you cancel him, guess what? You win. No, that's not what Scripture is saying. Scripture is saying is that Jesus has reconciled all. He has power over all. He has defeated all. There's nothing else to do. Anything that says it requires more than what Jesus did, you have to take captive that thought. If, an, if someone comes up and says, I am an apostle, I hope you take that thought captive. If someone comes up and says, I have a new word for you, I hope you take that thought captive. Brothers and sisters, this gets said every day in churches. And we have to be careful of that. Because these are the vain philosophies, the empty philosophies, the elementary principles of man that the world wants us to believe. Why? As Paul says in Corinthians, he says because he wants us to, um, because we do not be, want to be deceived by empty words, that we, our minds should not be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion in Christ. Sometimes we think that Christ is just too simple. Anybody that says, you know what, you shouldn't go listen to your pastors, you should take that thought captive. Anybody that is trying to create disunity in a church, take that thought captive. Anybody that says you have the same authority as Christ, you need to take that thought captive. We have blessings in Christ, we have inheritance in Christ, we're redeemed in Christ, we're actually set up in the heavenly places with Christ, but we do not have Christ's authority. We stand in Christ's authority. Brothers and sisters, these are just empty philosophies and elementary principles that I just want to bring to your mind. Because that's the one thing that truth does, is it helps us take captive these false and vain philosophies that the world is setting up. Remember, the world wants us to focus on man. Anything that is not building up in the knowledge of God is what the world wants us to focus on. Now I want to take a brief moment, and I want to walk through, I want to do Ephesians if you've seen, I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Overcomer. It's a pretty good movie. So it's a movie by the Kendrick brothers. So it's about a girl who is lost. She's in, in the foster system. Uh, she, she steals a lot. That is kind of her thing, and she doesn't know who she is. I think they do one of, uh, one of the coolest things in there is they tell her to go back to Ephesians, and in the first three chapters, circle everything about the blessings of who you are in Christ. So we just read Colossians about the supremacy in Christ, how he is over all, he's redeemed all, he has all, he has authority over all. But I just want you to listen to this. Because there's one set of truth about who Christ's power is and his supremacy. The second set of truth is the truth of the blessings that we have in that. Listen for this. This is the blessing that you have in him and your identity. He chose you. chose you to be homely and blameless. You're predestined. You're adopted. He has kind intention of his will towards you. He bestows his grace on you. You are beloved. You are redeemed. You're forgiven. You have the riches of his grace. He has made known himself to you. You have a purpose in him. You are sealed in him. 
He's giving you a pledge of inheritance. You are God's own possession. You were dead in your trespasses, which you formerly walked, but he has bestowed great love and mercy on you. You are alive with Christ. You are his workmanship, created for good works. Take a moment to think about it. Why am I, why am I focusing on these two things? One, I, I want you to know that there, there's a historical reasoning for why you would believe what you believe in who Jesus is and in the Bible. The second is I want you to understand as we go to battle and we put on this belt of truth and we gird ourselves up that Christ is supreme. There is nothing more that needs to be done. The reason I tell you that is because you have to remember who you are in him. Why? Because Paul also says in Ephesians, you have to walk in a manner that's worthy to build up the unity of faith. You need to be mature to a mature man and woman in Christ. You have to lay aside the old self and put on the new. To walk is wise, not unwise. Why? So you don't give the devil an opportunity. The reason I go through the supremacy of Christ is so you don't realize that as the world tells you you have to do more stuff, you don't. The second is the reason I go through the blessings of Christ is so that you realize who you are in Christ. So when, you, you, when you're telling yourself that I was bitter, I was anger, I was shame, I have wrath, I have malice, speech, lies, jealousy, whatever those things are, that you can be remember that those things are dead in Christ. And you can say, I can walk in Christ. So I can put those things aside, and I don't have to believe what the devil says, which is, ah, you should be shamed. You should be guilty. You are worthless. We could put that on ourselves. The devil probably doesn't even need to do it. But you have to recall these truths. Christ is supreme. And we have blessings in Christ so that we can walk in them so that we can take every thought captive. I'm a liar. I'm never going to stop lying. Take that thought captive. Do you believe that? Because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you've been redeemed. You said you were dead in your trespasses. You can walk in a new life so you can be holy and blameless. But you have to take the thought captive because you have the thought and then it runs wild. And then the devil sings your song. He sings the right note that Jeff talked about last week and adds to that. So you have to capture that. That's the important thing is that you remember the truths. When you go into battle, you remember that who Jesus is and his word is true. You recognize what he did and the supremacy of him. I love this passage in Colossians. This kind of brings our whole redemption together. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our sins and our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt. It's canceled. So whatever you tell yourself or whatever the devil tells you, whatever the world tells you, it's canceled. You're good enough. You're good enough in Christ. He's taken out of the way, nailed it to the cross, having disarmed the rulers and authorities and made public display of them, having triumphed them over them through him. The reason I tell you that is because I want to go back to this battle that we're in of truth. And he says, stand firm, therefore, in the power and the might 
and the strength of the Lord. This is what it is. That truth is a piece of that. And he, when you don't lose a battle and not make a public display of your enemy, you only make a public display of your enemy when you've won the battle. In the old days, they used to take them and march them through the city and say, look what we've done. We've plundered them. We've killed them. We've destroyed them. They're binded. They're going in jail forever. That is what Jesus has done for our flesh, for the world, and for the devil. He's given us the truth that we can walk in, in him. So when the, dem- the, the devil gives you temptation to say, go ahead and do it, you can remember the truths about the supremacy of Christ. When the devil accuses you to do something, you can remember the blessings of the redemption of Christ, about who he says you are. So when you start to ask the question that the devil said to Eve, did God really say? Or maybe men, when you're feeling a little more passive about not taking an active role in something, you can capture that thought and say, maybe I need to step in here and do a little bit more. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, I want to pull this up because I think this is a, this is a, great, a great verse to remind us. <clears throat> it says, Be careful lest the serpent deceived Eve. Your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. I mentioned that. So Paul refers back to, hey, be careful in all this because just like the serpent deceived Eve, you don't want to fall into that same trap. So anything that denies the sufficiency of the cross and Jesus and his power in the gospel is something that you want to capture and look at and unpack. Anything that denies sufficiency of scripture is something you want to capture, unpack, and look at. Because anything that is more than that leads us to bondage, not freedom. And you have to be careful. When the world is saying you need to do more of something, you need to do this, you need to be very careful of that. So there's three things that I'm going to leave you with. One is keep and abide. Remember that your old self, your flesh is dead, and you you are a new creation in Christ. So John 14, 23 says, if you love me, you will keep my word. John 8, 32 says, abide in my word. You are my disciple. Know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The second thing I'm going to tell you is to test all things. Why? Because this is dealing with the world who wants us to talk with vain philosophies and have provide vain philosophies, elementary principles, Uh, the schemes and all those things, you have to be able to test all of those things. Paul says to the Thessalonians, test everything and hold fast to what is good. This is, in fact, what the Bereans did in Thessalonica. Paul preached to them, and they tested him against the Scriptures. They examined the Scriptures every day to make sure they knew what was true. Which leads me to the last thing that I, I told you was the main point as we go through this piece. And it comes from 2 Corinthians 10. For we walk in the flesh, and we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. What are those fortresses? So as Pastor Jim Osmond said, it's not 
It's not devil's territory. It's not devil's strongholds. We're not fighting over geographical territories. We're not fighting over generational curses. There's not whole countries that have been given over to one thing that we're trying to deal with. The fortresses that they're talking about here, Paul explains in the next paragraph, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised against the knowledge of God. So what are those schemes and those items that are raised against the knowledge of God? And he ends it with, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That is the one thing that I want you to practice this week, is yes, keep and abide in God's word. Test all things and take every thought captive. Why? Because whether it's the world, the flesh, or the devil, as Jeff said last week, sometimes we can't tell what it is or who it is. But you know what's going on in your mind. And as Pastor Jim Osmond said, it's a battle for truth and not territory. Truth and not a stronghold. Truth and not a fortress. It's a battle for truth in our minds. That's what spiritual warfare is. And we need to take every captive, every thought captive to obedience of Christ. What does that look like in the flesh? I'm really bitter today. And I think I'm just going to hold it in, and I'm going to be bitter, and I'm going to be angry, and I think I'm just going to act this way to my son or my daughter, whatever that is. How can you take that thought captive? What is Christ saying that you can do? What are the blessings in Christ? How can you walk in it? Somebody is telling me that I need to do more than, or there's creating disunity, or whatever it is. How can you take every thought captive? Right, there's a great book out there by Jenny Allen. I started reading it. I thought it was good. It's called Get Out of Your Head. Um, and it's all about this, this piece, about taking your thoughts captive. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do. And this is going to be my prayer for you in Philippians. I pray that we stand in the historicity of who Christ is. I pray that we stand in the supremacy of who Christ is. I pray that we stand in the blessings of who Christ says we are. I pray that we would keep and abide his word, test all things, and take every every thought captive. Brothers and sisters, this is what I pray for us. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. You will know that, and you can bring that thought captive. May you stand firm in that truth this week. Gird up your loins with the belt of truth and walk in that as we fight the battle this week. Amen.